about relationships for a minute. When you're in a, how many of you, and you don't even have to raise your hand, how many of you have somebody that you have a crush on that you're just kind of admiring from afar? And then you know what you do. You time, yeah, we got some, all right, good job. Are they here? No, I'm kidding, don't answer that. You time, your, you time your schedules at school if you go to the same school to be around them or if they're at church or whatever social groups you're running in, you try to time it where you get there at the same time or, or if they're at some place and you heard they're going to be at this place, then you try to get permission to be at that place too, right? You try to run into them. You, you try, you kind of, for lack of a better term, you try to manipulate the situation to be with them, right? When was the last time you said, I'm going to manipulate the situation. I'm going to, you know, change my schedule up to meet with God. Oh, see, now I got quiet again. Why not? His presence. We want to be in his presence. I was looking up some definitions for presence. And there's several several that I found, but I I liked the way this one was phrased. The immediate personal vicinity of a great personage giving audience or reception. And the example they give is they were summoned to her presence or to his presence. This morning you've been summoned to the presence of God. He's calling out to you, say, he's trying to manipulate his schedule to meet with you. He's trying to put himself in situations so that you will hear him, so that you will pay attention, so that you will recognize that he's around you. Does that make sense? The same way... You two guys in the front. Now, ladies, just beware. They could be crushing on any one of you. And if it's the lady in the blue jacket back there, we're going to have to have a conversation. Because she's married. And now they're all checking it. Hey, 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 how's up here? Easy there. What are you doing? I'm standing right here. Do you, how many of you want to be in the presence of God? Yes? What happens when you're in the presence of God? Why do you want to be in his presence? It's amazing. What do you mean? <laughs> There's a reason we love to be in a relationship with people. And some of those relationships are, are plutonic and they're friendship and we like to hang out with our friends and do things with them. But then it's even better, even deeper, I should say, when it's a romantic relationship. There's a reason we have a heart that longs for that. It's because it's the same or the closest thing that we can have to having that relationship with God. Does that make sense? So think about it this way. In, this is why I believe that men and women are attracted to one another. It's because it says in Genesis that God created them man and woman, male and female. He created them. In the image of God, he created them, Right? I am one part of the image of God, and my wife is the other part of the image of God. When we are together, it says two become one. We come forth, we make a whole image of God. Does that make sense? You're seeking out that, that person or that relationship. You're, you're constantly, like your soul, your spirit, is seeking out a place where it can find that relationship and find that intimacy. And it can only be found in the presence of of God, not in his presence. Yeah, I'm getting better. Often, not often, right? It can only be found in his presence. His gifts are wonderful. 
the things my wife buys for me or does for me. Um, you know, she's gotten into a habit. I love blueberry muffins. Anybody? Blueberry muffin fans? They're, they're my favorite. Since we've been married, my wife's kind of gotten into a habit. And it's not every weekend, but a lot of weekends I'll wake up on a Saturday morning to the smell of blueberry muffins baking in the oven. Oh, it's so good. It causes this, but it's so good. She knows how to love me. She wants to give me good gifts. But more than that, she wants to be in my presence. She wants me to be around, you know. It's like I told you all last night about my kids. I love my boys, and, you know, technology is great because even when we're hundreds of miles away, it's not the same. I can't hold them. I can't hug them but I get a glimpse of their presence because I can see them and we can interact. Does that make sense? The Lord wants to see you today. He wants to sit with you. He wants to interact with you. It's good to sing. It's good to, to you know, sing the melodies and the harmonies and read the words. I think worship is a very powerful, powerful thing that the Lord has given us. But if we make worship or music our idols or if we make technology our idols or if we make even my wife can be my idol, my family. You know, a lot of families today, we, we tend to manipulate our schedules. And I'm just speaking as a, as a parent and having been done youth ministry for you know, however long. We tend as parents and adults to manipulate our schedules to meet the needs of our kids. And sometimes we neglect one another. When the reality is, I heard, some, I heard somebody, is, they were talking about their relationship. And every, I think it's Saturday mornings. Um, but every Saturday morning, uh, him and his wife, they get up. And they don't even leave their room for like two hours or something like this. Now, obviously, they don't have kids my kid's age because I don't think you could stand the screaming of my 18-month-old for two hours before you had to go do something about it. But they get up and they spend time together for two solid hours. And their kids know, Saturday morning is off limits. Mom and dad are having their time. And they're just hanging out. They're catching up on the week because weeks get so crazy. How many of you do some sort of extracurricular thing at school? Sports, band, whatever, right? You do your, you do your stuff. You're busy from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep and you don't get enough sleep before they drag you and get you back in the sanctuary on a Saturday morning. I'd even ask if it was Saturday today because my whole clock is messed up. We manipulate our schedules to fit our kids and to fit our families instead of seeking him first. You don't have to answer this one. This is totally rhetorical. But how many of you last night did the Lord say, you're not seeking me first? You're not, you're not coming after me first. Seek me first. And all these other things are going to be added unto you. Um, when we got done last night, my wife and Pierre both kind of pointed out to me that I left you hanging on our story about what happened to us yesterday, you know. And the situation was where we were waiting on that paycheck to come through, and we just started walking in fear. We started getting nervous and worried that we weren't going to have this or we weren't going to have that, you know. And I said, we kind of felt like we were owed some things. And all morning, we began to deal with this in our hearts, began to say, okay, Lord, we're sorry, you know, we repent. Um, we, we change, we're trying to change the way we think and the way we view things. That's what the word repent means. You know, it, typically I was taught that it meant to you know, turn around and go the other direction. And it does that, but it also means to think differently. To change the way I view things. Instead of sitting here and, and being okay with feeling like I'm owed something. 
I changed the way I think and realized that what I really deserve is death, right? I deserve eternal separation from the Lord, but through his mercy, he's given me communion with him. Does that make sense? So we process this through the morning, and um, I call um, I call my the church that I used to work for, and I left a message with my pastor. No sooner did I get off the phone with him that I got an email from the business administrator of the church saying, hey, there was a technical difficulty at the bank today, and so you know nobody got paid. We're going to pay you all this afternoon through wire transfer. Immediately, I'm not saying the Lord always works that quickly, but he did yesterday. Immediately, once we put ourselves to the side, began to seek him first, everything else was added unto us. Does that make sense? We got out of this selfish mode, this, this thing, you know, Jeff and I were talking about the theme of the weekend, and he made the comment that when we seek after God's things, it's like he becomes, you know, our genie almost. Does that make sense? Oh, Lord, you know, you get out your Bible, and since mine's digital, I'll do it this way. Oh, Lord, rub my lamp. I'm going to find a scripture that can justify what I want or what I need. Oh, Lord, give me this, please. Making deals. We become the God and he becomes the servant. Does that make sense? It, it jacks with our thinking, so we have to change the way we think. The thing about worship, when we, when we come together and we sing in community, is that worship is completely about God's presence. It's completely about God's presence. Exodus 25, 8 and 9. Let me get there. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to them. God says this in Exodus 25. He's given, he's given the Israelites instructions on how to worship him. Starting in verse 8, he says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And he goes in and he lists in detail, very detailed instructions and measurements and heights and depths and widths and different structures that he wants built in his tabernacle. He says, this is what I want you to do so that I may dwell among you. To get into the presence of God, you have to begin to prepare a place for him. It's, it's that relationship. If Amy and I are going on a date, if y'all are in dating relationships, it's going to make a lot more sense. Guys, there's a lot of pressure on that. Because i got to figure out what we're going to do, where we're going to go, what we're going to eat. Hope it's something she likes. I don't want to pick out a bum movie. Ever been on a date and, you, and it was your turn to pick the movie and it was just, it was terrible. And you're like, oh, I screwed up the date. It was bad. And I've, I've done that before and I felt really bad. And what Amy says, I just wanted to spend time with you. To know that I put that time, that effort in there. To make me a place, he says, that I may dwell. The, the staff here at the church has done an amazing job with preparing an atmosphere to bring a message to you. And this place, I mean, still, I'm just in amazement. I saw Dane posted pictures this summer of the vacation Bible, Bible school set that they did here. And I was like, oh my, great. Because our little bitty church of about 200 people did the same theme and it looked nothing like what was on this stage. They took the time, they spent time with the Lord, they prepared an atmosphere for you to come in to be impacted by him. And then in turn, when you begin to worship, 
just, I mean, exactly this morning like you did, like you did last night. You began to prepare a place for him to come in and meet with you. Does that make sense? You've seen the movies, and I've never done the whole two candles on the table, all romantic junk. Not that romanticism's bad. Love you. But I've never done the, the like, I'm just not a cliche type of guy. Um, I had, a, had one of my pastors call me an iconoclast once, and I was kind of offended to begin with, and then I started looking up the definition. I was like, yeah, that's, that's probably about right. You prepare that atmosphere. You spend all day or a week or two weeks. When, when Amy and I got, when we were engaged, well, let me phrase this, before we were engaged, we knew we were going to get married. I'd heard very clearly from the Lord that before I'd even seen her in like over two years, didn't know if, she, you know, I would even think she was pretty. The Lord said, you're going to marry this woman. And so we knew that we were going to get married. And I just, we, we hadn't been engaged yet. We hadn't, we were broke. We didn't have any money. Couldn't buy a ring, you know. And one day I come to her apartment. Um, we were living in Euless. And I come, I come to her apartment and she's on the phone. And she's talking to somebody about flowers for our wedding. And she got off the phone like, what are you doing? Well, I, we were on the phone and we got to talk. I said, well, stop, stop, stop. We're not even engaged. Because here's the thing. The wedding, emotionally for the most part, it's for the women and their mothers, right? He, he just got married. He knows what I'm talking about. You know, it, it is. For us guys, the proposal is the big thing. That's our time to shine. That's us setting the table and saying, come join this life with me and walk this out. So, I, I you know, I'd spent you know, a week or so trying to plan this thing. I had it figured out where I, where I had to go get the... Um, I was going to, to speak at a place in uh, Sweetwater, Texas, if you know where Sweetwater is. Um, come up through Lubbock, see some friends, um, go through my hometown of Clarendon and Amarillo. And we were broke, so we didn't have money for, for a diamond. And, you know, since my dad had passed away, my mom had given us her wedding ring. And we took the set out of it, and I put it into a new ring for, for Amy. And so I was getting all that set up. I was going to drive to Follette, where her parents live, and do the whole scary thing of asking your dad, if I, you know, is it cool that I keep your daughter for a while? Which is, ner- you know, it's nerve-wracking. And um, our car broke down, and so there was kind of this big mess. But she thought I was going out of town for the weekend. And she worked at a salon that's now in Grapevine that was in Bedford at the time. And I'd set it up with her boss um, and her roommate to help me get this, this set up. And I took a bunch of pictures of she and I. And um, she had been put in a station that was kind of around the corner. And her boss had put some random name down for her last appointment of the day. And so I'm waiting like in a parking lot across the street um, for Bruce to give me a text saying, hey, she's, she's out of the way, you can sneak in. And so she went to Bruce's office to talk with him and, and to wait on this client because the client was wait late and she was getting agitated because she was having to stay late because this guy was late. And so I snuck in and we, we put the pictures up and you know, and I don't know that we really classified it as our song, but a song that was kind of powerful to us at the time was Nora Jones, Come Away With Me. And so I'd given somebody a CD. I know it's cheesy. Come on, leave me alone. I love her. So they put the CD on the, on the stereo and whatever, and, she come, and they're like, okay, he's here. And she's mad. She's like, you need to tell him. He doesn't need to just go back to my chair, and, and he's too late, and I need to be able to go home. And 
So she comes around the corner, and there I am. I'm sitting in her, in her she's a hairstylist, so I'm sitting in her, in her chair, and I'm holding a bouquet of flowers. And her favorite flower is Gerber daisies. Anybody like Gerber daisies? They're my favorite, favorite flower too now because I buy them a lot. And I was holding this bouquet of flowers. She goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I came to bring you flowers. She goes, oh. I said, I said look at the Gerber. It's, it's beautiful. And she starts kind of digging around. And in her head, she was thinking, oh, no, this florist is going to get it because there is not a Gerber daisy in this bouquet. And I had the Gerber behind my back, and I had taken her ring, and I wired it into the middle of the flower. Oh, thank you. And so as she looked down and she looked up, I would pulled out the flower, and it had the ring in it. And so then she does this. <gasps> and I get down on one knee. Guys, just a word of advice. Whenever you get to this point in life, whatever you're going to say, write it down. Because they're really not going to listen to anything you say at the time. Their heart's going to be racing. Their mind's going to be racing. They're trying to figure out, you know. She said, I was really just focused on not missing the question. Whenever she said, will you marry me? I wanted to be able to, to answer that question. And so I'm on my knee and I'm holding the flower. And, and of course, all the girls from the salon and all these other customers who had no clue were standing around. I'm nervous. Don't screw this up. Please, God, say yes. Because you've seen those, right? You've seen those YouTube videos of people that propose at big sporting events. And the woman's like, I can't. And she runs off. And you're just in front of thousands of people. I wasn't in front of thousands, but I was nervous. And she goes, she's sitting there crying. And I'm talking. And, and I said, you know, will you marry me? She goes, yes. I prepared an atmosphere for her, right? I set up an entire event just to be with her and say, will you walk with me for the rest of our life? Are you doing that when you meet with God, when you're expectant? Are you setting up an atmosphere to say, come, make me a sanctuary, he says. Give me a place in your life so that I can walk with you for the rest of years. Are you following me? I'm kicking my water around. John 4, starting in verse 19. This is the woman at the well. And I think we've all probably heard this story several times. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Uh, I deleted 20 in mine. Um, Go back to 20 for me. There we go. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming and has come when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So the lady asks a question. Her question is, where is the proper place to worship? She asks him, where is the place to worship? Where is the place to become into his presence? And Jesus answers with what? Where are we to worship? Did he answer that question? Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. She asked for a place. Where are we to worship? And Jesus actually answers with a place. In spirit, a spiritual place, and in truth, a spiritual place. I've heard it, I've heard people say, you know, well, I don't like this church or that church because, you know, I don't really like the music. I don't like organs. I don't like hymns. You know, I grew up in a very traditional church. That's what I got a lot of. And then as I got older, people would always tell me, well, you know, you should be able to worship wherever. It shouldn't matter. That's true and not true. If the atmosphere isn't prepared, then you have to prepare in here. If we were to come in here and none of this decor was up and the, the leadership has spent no time praying over this situation, over this place this weekend, over you, over your host families, over your homes, in spirit and in truth is where we can worship if our hearts are prepared. Does that make sense? The word, uh, the word worship there, I don't know a lot of Greek, so I pull all this out of, out of books. But I like this. It says, the word is proskaneo. From the word pros, meaning towards, and the word kaneo, meaning kiss or adore. So literally, to worship God means to throw kisses at him. My little boys, we don't, we don't call it throwing kisses. We, we blow kisses, right? But we'd be in our room. Rylan would be on his top bunk. and He actually liked to make his. Anybody ever seen the movie Wanted? I'm not endorsing. I'm just saying, have you seen it? And you're, I'm not going to yell at you if you have. And the kid, you know, he shoots the bullet. He can throw his arm and it, you know, goes around stuff. That's how Ryland does his kisses. He'll throw it this way and, you know. And then you have to, you know, be a good hands person and go, I got it. And you eat it. I don't know why we eat it instead of just pressing it to our lips. That's what we do. And so then we do the same thing back. That's what we're doing when it says to worship God is to throw kisses to him. And guys, I know that might sound a little weird, but when you find that person that, that the Lord has prepared for you to spend the rest of your life with, you're going to want to throw kisses to her. You know, I'm, I'm guessing that some of the conversation with the girls last night probably revolved around boys, because that's what happens. Girls talk about boys a lot. Boys don't talk about girls a lot, though, do they? At least you guys know. We don't talk about those girls. Not that y'all are even close to this young, but when I was third grade, the, the cool thing to do was to write the girl who you liked, you wrote her name on the bottom of your shoe. I don't know. It makes no sense. We were third graders. But then I was the kid, I was the third grader that crossed his legs in class. Like I'd be sitting there at my desk and I'd cross my legs and somebody saw her name and they told her and I got embarrassed and it was, so don't write, don't write her name on your shoe. Because then if you step in something, it, no, never mind. Exodus 33. We're throwing kisses to God when we worship Him. Worship requires us to be in the presence of Him. If we're going to worship Him, we're going to have to be in His presence. Exodus 33, starting in verse 13. If you are pleased with me, this is Moses, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, 
If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The only thing that distinguishes me as a follower of Jesus Christ is his presence with me. I've known people, and I I want to be this type of person, not in an arrogant sense, but I know people, they can walk into a room and change the entire atmosphere. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, they come in, they've got something about them, they've got some charisma, they've got some sort of passion. They, some of them, though, they'll walk in with the presence of God and change the whole atmosphere. I heard a story about a guy who, you know, he, he was just, just walked in great relationship with the Lord. Anybody, y'all have Spencer's out here? Is there Spencer's stores out here? That was the big, you know, kind of taboo place to go when, when we were in junior high was to, if we could sneak into Spencer's in the mall, you know, because they had all the, the bad stuff. Now there's worse stuff. But, but this guy would walk in and change the atmosphere of Spencer's. And it was kind of a darker, you know, sense. And it's like the, the, the heaviness that was on the store would lift. And the, the uh, people that worked there would begin to start conversations that they wouldn't normally have with, with this guy. I believe it's because the presence of the Lord was with him. The presence of the Lord isn't something to be walked into and out of, though. It's something to be carried on your shoulders. He'll walk with you. He'll change the atmosphere. He will lay out a path for you to walk in. Does that make sense? Genesis 32. I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you. Just hang on. This is one of my favorite stories. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent, them over, uh, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man... Notice the capitalization of that. Wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, so when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he, being Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and men and prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. I love this story because, oh, well, let, me, let me finish this. I, I just stopped a little soon. So Jacob called the, uh, the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is the one on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. It's one of my favorite verses because I feel like it gives me permission to wrestle with God. One of the hardest things that, that I remember struggling with when I was in high school, um, spiritually, from a, from a theological standpoint, where people tell me, well, you can't question God. Don't, don't question him. And my thought was always, well, if he's 
God, is it really going to bother him if I question him? I mean, he's still going to be right, right? If he's God, that answer is not going to change. So when Amy and I were dating, this is probably my favorite story of, of our relationship. When we were dating, um, we had planned these two weekends back-to-back to go to these different events. One was a wedding in Houston, and the next one was like the big one. The next one was her cousin's wedding, and we were meeting her whole family. I hadn't met any of her family except her sister and brother-in-law and their, the two kids they had at the time. So we were going to meet her mom, her dad, all of her uncles, her aunts, her cousins. Everybody was going to be at this wedding, and I was, kinda, I was really kind of nervous about it. But I promised her, I so said, we will go. So we went to this wedding in Houston one weekend. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was living at home with my mom. <laughs> What's that about? I was 23 years old. I was living at home with my mom. My car was broke down. It's going to get better. You ready? My car was broke down. So I had to walk to work and I worked at Pizza Hut. Making five fifteen an hour as a manager. It was pathetic. So I'd ask off for these two weekends and I went to the first one and I came back and and I didn't know what my schedule was for the next week. And I told Amy I'd call her and let her know when I could be there on Friday in Amarillo to pick her up from the airport. Because she was flying from Dallas into, uh, into Amarillo. And so I get in there that next morning on a Tuesday morning. Because I'd ask off for Thursday, Friday, um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday one weekend. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday the next weekend. So I get in there in between those weekends. And on a Tuesday morning I see the schedule. I'm working Tuesday. I'm off Wednesday, Thursday. And I'm scheduled to work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. The four days that I'd ask off for, she, uh, the manager had scheduled for me. <clears throat> and so I'm pretty ticked about it. And I call Amy and I'm like, hey, don't be alarmed. Just so you know, I just want you to be aware. I came in. This is what my schedule says. I'm going to talk to her today. Okay. Not knowing that she's freaking out on the inside. <clears throat> so I talked to my manager. She's not real pleased. She's not real accommodating. She said, I'm sorry, you're going to work this weekend. And I was pretty ticked. So I called Amy back and said, I'm done. I'm going to quit. I can't handle this. I asked for it. I did the things I was supposed to do. I'm, I've got to meet your family. And at this point, I already knew in my heart, like I'd already heard from the Lord that I was supposed to marry her. So this was a big deal. I'm going to meet her whole family, which I believe was going to become my family. And so it was, it was a big deal for me. And she said, don't quit. Don't quit yet. Let us talk after you get off work tonight. Just call me and we'll talk. Okay, so I, I gritted my teeth through the day. I get home. I call her. I'm so sorry. I mean, she's bawling because she's a crier, and that's okay. She's cute when she cries. But she's bawling on the phone. I'm so sorry. What do you, what do you mean you're sorry? What are you sorry about? I'm sorry for what I prayed. What did you pray? What are you talking about? I just told the Lord, if you weren't the man I was supposed to marry, I didn't want you to be able to come home and meet my whole family. And, you know, and here I am believing fully that I'd heard the Lord, that I was supposed to marry her, and then she had prayed this, and now my schedule's messed up, and I was like, I don't really know what to say. I, I just, I was kind of freaking out about it. And I'm talking to her, I'm talking to her on the phone, and I'm standing outside um, at, at my house, and there's this empty lot between my house and the grocery store. And I see this pastor um, pull in across, across the parking lot. And I said, I said, listen, I said, until we are whatever we are, until, until, until I don't show up on Friday morning to pick you up from the airport, 
nothing changes. Nothing. You know, if, if, I, if I move all the mountains I can and I have a flat tire and I can't pick you up on Friday morning, then maybe we'll talk. If for some reason I can't make it happen to be there to see you, then we'll, we'll address that at that time. I said, but until then, I said, Jacob wrestled God for a name, for a blessing. I said, you're way more important to me than the name. I'm going to take him to the mat. I'm going to wrestle with him. I'm going to struggle with him. I'm going to pursue you while pursuing him. And if at the end of the day he says no, then I'll submit and I'll walk in that. But until I don't show up, we still are on. So I go meet with this pastor. <laughs> I walk over to him and I catch him in the grocery store. Hey, man, can we talk? He's like, can you wait till I get home? So I said, yeah. I said, so he goes, give me 30 minutes. So they got their stuff and they went back to their house and I met him over there and we sat down in his office and we're talking and he goes, I'm telling him the whole situation and telling him, I'm sorry for what I prayed and the whole deal. And he said, Jason, do you believe that you have a future with this woman? I said, absolutely. He goes, do you believe you have a future at Pizza Hut? I said, no, (laughs) no, no, no. He said, I think you've made your decision. I said, but what do I do? I said, I'm not the type of person that just quits. I've always been taught proper etiquette. You give two weeks notice. You honor the, you know, your employers. And he said, you need to honor what the Lord has told you. If you feel like there's a future here, you pursue her. So I went in the next day and I talked to my manager. I said, I cannot work. You have to give me this weekend off. I'm sorry. I'm not giving you the weekend off. She's kind of, she's, she was really kind of tacky to me. And I'm trying to be calm with her. And I said, okay. I said, here's what I know. I said, you can either work this weekend because she wasn't, she was off that weekend. I said, you can work in my stead this weekend or you can work in my stead for the rest of the time that I would have been working till the schedule changes. And she goes, what are you going to do, quit? I said, well, I don't want to. I said, but you're really leaving me no option. She said, yeah, well, I don't think you're going to do it. So I ducked my head and I walked out to my car. I got my beautiful Pizza Hut hat and my Pizza Hut shirt. And I walked in and I set it on her desk. I said, I quit. And I walked out. I think sometimes we think wrestling with God is the wrong thing. But you can't wrestle with somebody that you're not close to. Anybody a wrestler in here? Nobody? Oh, oh. Can you win a match? Can you even wrestle if you're not, if you're not in the same room with that person? Yeah, it'd be pretty tough. You have to be, one of my favorite things to do, one of my favorite things to do as a kid and now as a father was, I would love to wrestle with my dad and I love for my kids to just pile on me because one day they're going to hurt me when they do it. But right now I can still dominate them. I love to wrestle with them. They can honestly never beat me right now. Jeff, can your kids beat you yet? One on one, or does it take all three? Oh, wow. Let's be friends. He loves to wrestle with us. My kids cannot beat me. I mean, with one hand, I can put them to the floor. It's very easy. But it's fun to sit in the floor. Like, I'll get down here and I'll just squat in case in the 18 month old will be across the room. And I'll say, can you get me? And he gets a big grin. Ah, and he comes waddling and he hits me and boom. And he takes me down. And before I can get up, he stands up and he throws himself on me again. If I wanted to, you know, 
I could toss him. <laughs> but sometimes I just want him to wrestle with me. Sometimes I just want to be in his presence and hold him and hug him. Does that make sense? Wrestling with God isn't a bad thing. Struggling with what he says, pursuing something that you desire, if in the end you are still willing to submit to what he says, it's good. It's intimate. It's worship. You're in his presence. Does that make sense? Last thing. We'll stop here. Uh, Matthew 7, starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now the rest of this may sound familiar. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Does that sound familiar? Did we talk about that last night and God giving good gifts? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. All of that requires pursuit. Stereotypical men don't like to stop and ask directions, do we? Just kind of how we are. Now I just use my phone unless I'm out of service and then I get kind of freaked out, but whatever. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. If you go after him, he promises that you will find him. Right? And when you find him, he will give you good gifts. Jeremiah 29.11. Anybody ever heard this verse? What's it say? Can you... Can y'all say it without or put it on the screen? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. He has a destiny for you. He has something planned out for you so great you can't imagine it. And it's all good things, right? We've heard this before. You know, all the cliche seniors put it as their little quote. In their senior annual. Not that I did that. Verse 12. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So these two girls, y'all like. They're all red. I wish you could see their faces. If, if a friend told a friend that told a friend that told you that she liked you too, would you talk to her? I don't have any information. Like, I, I got nothing to give you. I'm just kind of asking. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't even know who it is. If somebody would have told me that the girl that I liked liked me too, then that kind of gives me some confidence, right? I'm like, okay. Maybe I won't get completely rejected. Maybe I've got a shot with this, right? The Lord's telling you he wants you to pursue him. He's given you that invitation. He's told a friend of a friend to tell you. He wants to meet with you. He wants to be pursued. 
He wants to be in the room with you. He wants to give you good things. But you can't worship the things over him. Does that make sense? So tonight, our whole point is to get into the presence of the Lord. So the things that the Lord's been speaking to you this morning, begin to meditate on them. Begin right now to prepare that place in your heart. And tonight you come in expectant, right? Say expectant. I expect to be met. I expect to be met by the Lord. Today, while you go through the rest of your activities, ask him. Seek him. Knock on his door. Ask him what he has for you tonight. I've been doing this for not very long, two or three years now. But my birthday's in March. And so, oh, somewhere in February, I just begin to ask the Lord, what do you want to give me for my birthday? I mean, because I can ask my wife, what do you want to give me? And she, and she always says, well, I want to give you everything, but Mr. Budget says no. <laughs> but my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And people use that all the time to suggest, you know, he's going to provide for me. Well, he wouldn't be able to provide if he was stingy. He wants to give. So I ask him, what do you want to give me for my birthday? What do you want to give me for Christmas? You know, what do you want to lavish upon me? So all day I want you to begin to ask the Lord, what do you want to give me tonight? His answer, number one, is always his presence. He goes, I just want to be in your presence. I just want to hang out with you. I'm going to wrestle with some things. I want to pull on your heartstrings a little bit. Dane, where y'all at? Are y'all going to close out with some stuff? Or he's not. Yes? Okay. Well, if y'all want to come kind of start that, that's wonderful. Um, so as we kind of close out this time, let's, let's ask those questions. What do you want to give me tonight? What do you want to meet me with? Where do you want to pull on my heart? So Father, I just pray that. I pray that that is our heart as a body. That as you said last night, that word heart, Father, is Singular. We as one body will step before you and say, what do you want to give us? Because we know in your presence, your presence come. That your presence is better than life, that it's the air that we breathe. Father, like like Beth Moore said, I want to be so far out on that limb that I can't even turn around to go away from you without falling on my face. And needing you to pick me up. As we spend the rest of the day, Lord, I just pray that our focus is you. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to do some crazy stuff. But as we come together tonight, that we are ready to meet with you. That the place that you have prepared, that we are preparing. That we are setting the table. That we are lighting the candles. That we're being romantic even. Saying, come sit with us. Tell me about your day. Tell me about your week. Tell me about my destiny.